I love the 12 steps. I, I love my life. I've got a, I got a killer life, folks. I got, uh, in December, I got a chance to get off the road a little bit, move back to the place where I'd, I'd, I'd spent a bunch of years in a facility working in, up there in the hill country, and I got to go back over there and work, and, and I get to get on my bicycle about three times a week and ride my skinny little butt off in the heat, and it's just, I, I, we got a great life, folks. And, and this is what this thing is about. If this was about not using drugs one stupid day at a time, I'd just go home and stay there. That's not what this is about. Never was intended to be about that. It was intended about exactly what we've been talking about all day long coming out of the big book, having an absolutely cool, full life. And I saw some of y'all in here are not there yet. Come, come, come with us. Because everything about this thing, guys, this, life is going to change. And we're going to go through some tough times. But if you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, folks, and you stay that, that connection with God, it's going to get better. And it's going to get better quick. We got a whole bunch of people sitting on the periphery wanting to take shots at people like us. People have alluded to it all day long. It's just, it's, it just blows me away what happens out there in recovery land. It seems like, buddy, you get happy, somebody's going to take a shot at you. Sooner or later, ah, he's, that little one-eyed son of a bitch is just on a pink cloud. For 31 years, that's correct. I just, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It, uh, I want to thank everybody too, though. We passed the basket earlier, and though you guys that put a little money in there, these things are expensive to put on. Uh, you know, you got to uh, thank God for the church. This is what a beautiful venue this is. I was laughing with Cody earlier. We've spoken in some shady places, you know, <laughs> over the years. You know, it's just creepy, you know. And you get to come in a place like this, it's like all of a sudden this is downtown here. This is pretty pretty fine. So. But, you know, the tickets are expensive, just all the other ex- expenses. Everybody, thanks for, for doing that. Uh, it's, uh, we want to keep this thing going, and it takes everybody. Unfortunately, it takes, takes some funds to make it happen, too. So thank you all for contributing. I, uh, I got, we were born out in West Texas. Uh, I've got an t- identical twin brother. Johnny was alluding to him, Myers Raymer. Uh, he kind of freaks me out. Uh, 87, after I got sober, he, two months later, he got sober. He came in, and I took him to his first meeting, and I took him in the meeting, and he picked up one, one chip. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lightweight from hell. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no. And I picked up a drawer full. Y'all follow? That's what I'm saying. We all have different little stories. It took me seven years to get here. I'm just cutting to the chase. It's just like, guys, uh, uh. we were born out in West Texas, but Pops got us to the hill country down in central Texas. Y'all know where San Antonio is? We're about 60 miles northwest of San Antonio up in the, what they call the hill country. It's really pretty up there. It's nice. And... Um, uh, a lot of water, which we didn't ever see in Odessa. So it was, a, it, was, it was a pretty cool deal. I've got a little sister and a half-sister. They are not alcoholics and addicts. We've been, we've been trying to get them drunk for years. I've never seen it. I saw my little sister get drunk one time and, uh, at a sorority party. It was pretty cool. It was my first sorority party I'd ever been to. And who knew? Beer's free. You didn't have to pay for it. Oh, my God. And I'm running around looking for an aquarium to drink out of. And... Uh, and and she drank a little bit too much, and she got sick. She said, I'm never going to do this again. And she never did. I just Christmas time, whatever. Lisa, you, let's drink up. You want another glass of wine? No, no, no. Y'all know the old line. I, I'm starting to feel it. 
shit, me too. You, you, you. I don't understand. You know, it's, she's just wired different. My twin brother and I caught the genetic bullet. My father was an alcoholic. He was the nicest, sweetest man you'd ever come across. And um, that is honest as they come. I, I get offended by people out there that want to paint us all. We're all liars and horse thieves in here. You could bite my ass. Was, that wasn't nice, was it? You can bite my ass. Because there's a lot of really wonderful, nice people in, in all of our 12-step fellowships. And there's some really creepy sons of bitches too. Okay, but I'll just throw that up. <laughs> he was a good man. He, he taught me a lot. And uh, we had a great life, folks. There was nothing goofy in our family going on. We were raised on the front row of the Baptist church every time the door was open. And, and uh, we were just, I, we just had an idyllic life. High school, blah, blah, blah. Just, just nothing... I was a little skinny, one-eyed guy, rock fight when I was 11, took care of this one. And, I, you know, I was just a little awkward. I just felt a little, uh, you know, somebody else was laughing about their dad or somebody coming and says, what's wrong with you? My mom slid up next to me one time. I'll never forget it. Out there on Goat Creek Road, she slid up next to me. She said, what is wrong? She could see me. Her art studio was, had a window faced out where I was sitting. And I'm out there obviously upset, obviously not in a good spot. And she was out there trying to help me. She said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I just feel useless. I just, I was like 13, 14 years old. I said, like, guys, it's called untreated alcoholism. There's a lot of people in our fellowships today, and I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of you in here right now that still believe that alcoholism or drug addiction is causal. That there's something that happened that caused you to be an alcoholic. I'm going to say, folks, that something out there could have exacerbated it and make it, made it worse. I would be the last person to ever say that that external stuff didn't matter. It does. But majority of this, about 60% of this is genetic. So if you want to blame your mom and dad, that's fine. Because that, they probably contributed. They did a little pokey pokey and there you go. You know, you, you caught the bullet. So... But guys, the jury's in on that. If you ever want to argue it, I'll give you all the paperwork that you need on that. It's just, this is genetic, okay? You didn't, it's not causal. So, amazing how controversial that can be. Anyway, I, uh, I ended up going, uh, I guess, 1971. Uh, January, because I'll remember it, because I'll never forget it, and uh, I was leaning up against a big old cypress tree with a friend of mine, and we got a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine, and uh, oh my God, it was great, and uh, I took a couple of sips and hated it, and he took a couple of sips and hated it, and he said, I'm not going to drink any more of that, that tastes like crap, I says, it tastes not what I thought it would be like, that's for a fact, it doesn't taste very good, and he says, I'm going to go home, bye-bye, and I says, well, you don't want any more of this, correct? He says, no, I just said, I'm leaving, and I finished the bottle. It wasn't a big bottle, you know, like a box like some of y'all drink out of. You know, it was, a, this was a, I'd have died if they'd have had that shit. Big, big old boxes of wine. Oh, my God. An alcoholic made that, I guarantee you. It's like them big old cans of beer like that. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. How do you drive with one of those between you? I don't know. Not good. I drank at that Boone's farm and I got my, we had a little 22 rifle. I got my rifle and got my little flashlight and headed back across the field to my house. Big old full moon up there. And I said, man, this is why Pops drinks. Y'all, this is the first time I'd ever drank. I'd had sips of dad's beer and that kind of stuff. Slits is what he drank, you know. And, and I, I, but I'd never had this stuff in my system before. It just hit my bloodstream. And I mean, it was like, 
you know, I'm breathing deep for the first time in my young adult life. And I'm just, I just, I was, was great. Committed to do it the rest of my life. You know, it was just like, guys, and I didn't, oh my God, the spiritual malady has been treated. Oh my, I feel, I just, I didn't understand any of that. All I knew is that I'm going to do this every chance I get. It was great. And I'm, I'm drinking with my little buddies in high school. We'd go out on the weekends and get a little keg and if you all know where Kerrville is in San Antonio, we're about 200 miles as the crow flies from Mexico. And in Mexico, they have these little outside issue things that we can luckily talk about in VAA. This is, it's drug central down there, guys. And I'm going to tell you, every night, you could sit on the back of my house over there in, the, in Kerrville and listen to those planes flying real low. And all of them had big old bales of pot, lots of cocaine. Y'all follow a lot of heroin, a lot of every drug that came through that went to San Antonio and Houston came through Kerrville, Texas. That's just an absolute fact, you know. And he's just like you could go to the you could go to the uh, bowling alley there in Kerrville any any evening and get any drug you wanted, guys. I mean any drug you wanted. Now I'd have to go find somebody twenty one to go buy me booze, but you could go in the parking lot and buy mescaline, LSD, heroin. You could buy whatever you wanted in that parking lot, and and we did for about eight months. And then there was a big raid down in there, guys. And I, it just, uh, there were 64 seal indictments went out at Christmas time. And a bunch of my high school friends got arrested. And I remember sitting on the side of my bed, listening to those sirens all over Kerrville, down on them hills. And I could hear them. Every, just, it, everybody was freaked out because the phones started ringing and uh, they're arresting, you know, my buddy. And they're, oh, shh. And I made a deal with God. I said, God, I will never do another drug ever if you can get me, get me through this. And my twin brother and I didn't get arrested. We, we smoked pot with every one of those guys that got arrested in the hill country. And it, for some reason, we didn't get arrested. And I said, okay, that's, we got that down. And I went on to, to turn into one of the biggest lushes in the world. But I was never, ever going to do drugs. Right up until the time alcohol stopped working. Oh, my God. I was in the food business, and we started working, and, and uh, I'm doing pretty good. and uh, I'm pretty talented, as a matter of fact, in, uh, in, in the big kitchens, and, and uh, we're drinking, and everybody's drinking on the job, and it's just the way it is. But, guys, if y'all start drinking at 5 o'clock in the morning, by the time noon comes around, you're, you're a, a bit impaired. Y'all, it wouldn't be the first time they woke me up on the sacks of dirty laundry in the back of the room, you know, like, oh, buddy, this is not good. Lunch rush is starting, and I'd be passed out back there. And so somebody showed me, he says, Chris, try some of these diet pills. It was a, meth is all it was, okay? Just back in the day, black mollies and shit. We said, oh, yeah, that's what we needed. So I started messing with that, and, uh, and it were good. You know, my old sponsor, Mark, used to call it our alcohol enhancers. Some of y'all can get down with that. And, uh, and we start, yeah, it's just nuts. And uh, I'm drinking like a fish and I'm doing all this mess. And, and uh, uh, just, we're going 100 miles an hour and I'm getting fairly successful, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not a happy camper. I'm seeing a doctor in the about mid 70s, uh, 78, 79. I'm seeing a doctor. Uh, depression's kicking my butt. I don't know if any of you little meth heads in here understand that. I mean, the first time I ever contemplated suicide was coming off a jag off meth. You know, coming off the, those diet pills would, you just, the depression's horrendous. That's part of the detox, and it's just scary shit. And, I, and I'm seeing doctors, and, oh, Chris, you're not an alcoholic. You're, de- you're just, you're depressive. You know, you're just, we're going to give you some medications. This is the early days of antidepressants, and you take those, and uh, every time I'd see another counselor, they'd give me another do- pill, and uh, you know, 
early, all through the early 80s, I'm on all kinds of medications, guys. We're trying to chase this. Because what's happening, folks, is that the drinking and drugging is kind of catching up to me. Y'all remember the day that you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, I don't want to do this anymore because this is not fun anymore. The hangovers are getting worse. It seems like I'm getting in conflict. Every time I turn around, I'm running into somebody. You know, I'm just, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Obviously, it's affecting me. and It's affecting my career. And I just, um, I've made a hundred deals with God. I, I just... One of my big ones is I told God if he'd let that cocktail waitress marry me, everything would be okay. And I'd quit drinking and damned if she didn't. And, uh, and she was a sweetheart. She deserved way better than me. But I drug her up to North Texas to be closer to my twin brother because I thought that would help me, you know, not get in trouble. And, of course, he was drinking as much as I was. And it was just, it was a mess. I went to work for a guy that was, turned out to be a little cocaine addict and, and um uh, Ugh, guys, it was a nightmare. I, I just, just, I got this, this chef's job up there, and, and uh, uh, I don't know how to put it. He, uh, I came home one night. I'd been drinking and drugging all day long, and I mean, this is like functioning stuff. I need to paint this picture for you real quick because a lot of y'all heard me talk before. But, guys, I don't. I wasn't. We hear some of y'all talk about, you know, ending up on the street or ending up here or there, blah, blah, blah. I just, that wasn't my case. That wasn't my story. And uh, I, uh, I was what we call a functioning alcoholic. I, I, I'm managing it. I'm drug, juggling the drugs. I'm, I'm the alcohol. I'm holding it together pretty good. I never got fired from a single job, folks. I, I had 34 jobs. I sobered up when I was 35 years old. I had 34 jobs because you start sniffing around me, I'm quitting. You know, I'm out. You know, and so... But still, I'm holding it together pretty good. I'm not going to jail, not robbing liquor stores. I'm not doing crazy shit that some of y'all want to talk about. And it's like, oh, I'm holding it together pretty well, at least on the outside, it looks like. And uh, anyway, I came home one night, and I don't remember what the fight was about. Some, she said something, I said something. Anyway, I pushed her. I shoved her against and pushed her back, and it's kind of scared me to death and uh, no kind of to it. And it freaked her out like a big dog. Uh, I'm one of those kind of, some of y'all, like I'm one of those kind of drunks and addicts. That, I'm kind of sad. You know, I want to get by myself. I'm, gonna, I'm the little guy that wants to get in one of those old dirty, dark-ass, you know, bars someplace and, and drink and listen to Merle Haggard on the, on, a, on the jukebox, you know, always on a mountain when I fall. You know, it's like, yeah, that's me. Absolutely. Johnny's over there. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just be, for some of you little knuckleheads that don't have any intention of staying sober, just, I'm just giving you some guidance. Sometimes self-pity will get you laid. And I'm just going to throw that out there just, as a, just as, a, as a possible help to you. Oh, my God. You wouldn't want to go out with a one-eyed guy, would you? Most of them will say no. But every once in a while... Why, honey, well, sure, come home with me. Okay. <laughs> just saying. We can manipulate the world with that stuff, folks. Self-pity, what we were just reading earlier on page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of the problem. Self-pity, guys, can, I mean, that's, okay, I'm just saying. I do great. Right up to the point, you tell me no, and then I'm going to milk it for everything I'm worth. I just, just, ugh, terrible. Anyway, I left the house that night and came back a few hours later, and she said, what, what was the hell was that about? And I finally confessed to the cocaine. And I told her, I said, I, I I'm doing some of those things I shouldn't be doing. And she said, Chris, you're going to stop. You, if you want to stay married to me, you're going to have to quit. And i got to tell you guys, I'm just fact. 
Like there's a couple of things in these stories that I can't not tell. This is one of them. I could get, please hear it. When I looked her in the face with tears in my eyes and told her that I was going to quit, I meant it with every fiber in my body. Again, those old bastards in AA ones always, oh, you know, an alcoholic's mouth's moving. He's like, stop. It's just not true. When I looked her in the face and told her I was going to quit, I meant it. So did you. Guys, I didn't understand that I didn't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. If you can stop because you want to or need to, do it and go away. <laughs> I got up this morning and chose not to drink. Did you? Really? Have a nice life. I told her I was going to quit. And the next day I got me a meeting schedule and I went to my first AA meeting. A week and a half later, I'm with the executive chef and he asked me to stay after work to go over some function sheets. And we sat down at his office and he asked me if I wanted a beer and had the waiter over. And he ordered me a beer and I drank it. No big deal. Drank it. Actually drank two. Went home, patting myself on the back because I didn't get drunk. I didn't do any cocaine. Yay. My deal with her was that I wasn't going to touch another drop. And I walked in the house, and she smelled it, and that was it. She's done. And I don't blame her. She was, she'd put up with a lot of my crap. I just, okay. And she left, and I had about, what, five more years left in me. In and out, in and out. I started going to, to uh, the other 12-step fellowships, folks. And I got to tell you, I went to several. And I, it was like, I'd go in, and it didn't matter if it was a drug, a drug fellowship or an alcohol fellowship. It was always basically the same thing. And I'm not taking shots at any of those fellowships. I'm not taking shots at any of those people or any of those groups. No, maybe a little bit. No, I'm not. They were, guys, they were all trying to help me. But we'd go in and be the same thing. Oh, we got a newcomer. Let's tell Chris how we got here. And you tell me all your scary stories, how many times you'd had a DWI, and how many times you'd been chopped up and put in pipe. Just, you, everybody's got their scary stories. And inevitably, there would be an old guy. And you don't want to end up like us, do you? Like we're going to scare each other into recovery. If any of y'all ever are sitting down working with a little dope fiend, and you find yourself trying to scare them into recovery, just quit. You're wasting your time. Their time and your time. You can't scare an alcoholic into recovery or a drug addict into recovery. You might be able to pull them with a vision of how cool life can be once recovered. And that's what I think we need to be spending more time doing. Just a thought. Anyway, they scare me out. I'd, I'd sit in AA, AA meetings. In a, I'd, just, I'd stay in the fellowships until I just couldn't stay anymore. I'd sit out in the parking lot and have my window rolled down and listen to some crap on the radio and... Just flick my cigarette out and take a dip. I was I smoked and dipped at the same time because I'm a real smoker. Some of you <laughs> pussies in here. I got I take it out and flick it. Roll the window up and just drive out of the parking lot because I couldn't go I couldn't couldn't go back in. I just if I have to listen to one more scary story, I'm just going to shoot myself. Anyway. 1987. I'm on seven medications a day, all doctor prescribed. Um, just, yeah, geez. And, I, and I'm, I'm drinking and drugging on top of all of that. I'm a mess. And uh, I'm working for my twin brother. Thank God for family. And I will ever be grateful for Myers. Literally, you were the truth. He, he kept me out of harm's way a lot of times. And uh, he, uh, anyway, I drove home one night, picked up a stack of return checks, and realized I'd bankrupted another checking account. And I'm going to have to go to my sister-in-law, and I'm going to have to borrow money from her again. I'm living in a town I hate. Y'all understand? I hate my life. There's no excitement. There's no, I got no girlfriend. I got no... There's, 
I'm existing. Y'all follow? Just, it's, it's a terrible place to be. And I just like, I'm sitting there and the little ferrets are making noise over here. And I just like, I'm done. I can't, I don't know. I've watered the ferrets and, and a little sick ivy and I stacked up those stack of return checks. And I, and I set them on a counter and I took, went to the medicine cabinet and took a couple bottles of pills and tried to commit suicide. I'm just out. Nothing romantic. It's the absolute coward's way out. I'm going to leave everybody else holding the bag, but I'm gone. I understand the feeling, folks. See, I've tried everything you've asked me to do. I've sat naked in sweat lodges. I've, I've, I've been to treatment. I've, I've on all kinds of medications. I've been to AA for seven years, picking up hundreds of desire chips. I can't stay sober. I see you staying sober, but I can't stay sober. I ate those pills. About the time they hit my stomach, I heard a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA. I get emails from all over the world, guys, literally. I used to save them. I don't, I don't, people all, I heard the same voice. Sometimes it was a guy's voice. Sometimes it was a woman's voice. This wasn't a thought. Perhaps you should give Alcoholics Anonymous another th- this was a. I, this was a, don't do this, go back to AA. I heard this voice, and I made myself sick. It freaked me out, and I made myself sick, laid down on the bed, and heard it one last time, and I, I conked out. And the next morning I went to work because that's what I got to do. And at noon I went to a doctor, got some doggy downers because I'm going to detox. I don't have any insurance. I can't go back to treatment. And um, at 6 o'clock I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at this AA meeting and I'm going to let people know that I'm coming back. And uh, it's a direct line between that, this AA meeting I've never been to before. It's this AA meeting and the Kentucky Fried Chicken and the adult bookstore in my apartment. And I'm, gonna, and I'm gonna make a little beeline and land up in my little apartment, and I'm gonna I'm gonna detox all weekend. And uh, I walked into this meeting, and and uh, everybody was laughing and joking, and everybody smoking. That's back in the day when you could smoke and and, and meetings. And and uh, I walked in, and I got real self conscious. Everybody's going 100 miles an hour, and and uh, I'm kind of uh, just. I was uncomfortable as hell. Anyway, lady over here started laughing real loud, and I thought she was laughing at me, and I got real self conscious. And and I, chairperson said, come on in. I said, have a seat. And I said, no, 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 no. I'll come back Monday. Bye-bye. And I got to go. And I took a step back and I stepped on this little girl's foot. Some of y'all heard me tell this a million times, but I can't not tell that part. And I, she, uh, she said, stuck her finger in my belt loop. She said, sit down, cowboy. You're not going anywhere. And I was like, what the hell? Y'all understand how God works? This was a little 18, 19-year-old girl. said, sit down, cowboy. You're not going anywhere. Her sponsor was across the way and couldn't get to me. And she said, get him. And because she understood the fifth tradition, she got me. I get emails from everybody, you know, oh, in in Europe, men sponsor men and women sponsor. She didn't sponsor me. We didn't date. I wanted to. She wouldn't. It wasn't that I didn't ask, damn it. You know, but it's like how God works. And if it had been Johnny come up, sit down, cowboy, you're not going anywhere. I'd have punched him in the nose. You know, I cowboy this. May do that anyway. You know, (coughs) we had a good... God, guys, it was just, you know, they sat down, and they got me a cup of coffee, and they went around the room, and the chairperson said, let's tell Chris how our lives have changed as a result of working the steps. Holy shit. All right, guys, I've been in AA thousands of meetings. It's always the same. Let's tell Chris how we got here. Oh, let me guess. You drank too much. (coughs) Am I close? Oh, my God. I ended up. They went around and talked about getting their credit cards back, talked about going back to school, talked about getting, just buying a new car. One of the little girls had a new car. and 
I just been turned down for a car loan three weeks earlier. And my old beat up pickup truck was dying. And then it's like all of a sudden these guys are telling. Lady at the end of the table had a sketch pad and she's showing me. She's look, I went back to school and I'm 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 doing some sculpting now, and I'm just a huge fan of artwork. I do my art up here. This is issue man up here. This is this is as artistic as I get. Ugh, terrible. Okay. I am absolutely talentless, but I love art, you know, and it's just fascinating watching these people get excited about their lives. And I said, like, God dang it. It was luck of the draw that I landed in a room full of people that understood that this was what it was about. They pulled me with a vision. People are always emailing and calling. You know, you think all these meetings, people are offended, you know. You think meetings ought to be a pep rally. Absolutely. If you think for a second that I think they should be a meeting where you could go and whine about your stupid day one more time. Sorry. There's, there's no chapter in the back of the book called End of Whine. Guys, I'm less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt, and these people gave me the one thing I needed more than anything. I didn't need to hear your scary story again. I needed to hear, is there any way you can wake up in the foreseeable future and not want to drink or drug? Is there any way that you could ever have a cool life again after all the damage you've done for the last 20 years of drinking and drugging? Holy sh... Guys, I'm going to tell you. At the end of the meeting, they asked me who wanted to stay sober, and I picked up my last, didn't know it, desire chip. And two guys came up afterwards. We did the little prayer. and they, Two little guys came up afterwards. And, and they, they were old, old geezers. They're both passed away now. But they had the big books. And they opened them up. I says, Chris, can you sit with us for a few minutes so we can find out why you keep relapsing? And they sat down. And I said, why do you think you keep relapsing? And this is a little issue, man. All the little X's on the outside. You can see them up here. This is, this is the girl. This is the job. This is the town. This is mommy. This is, y'all got it? We could go on forever. I'm offending some of you even as I speak because you're convinced that this is the problem. It's what drives me crazy. And I, in all of our fellowships, everybody wants to point a finger. You know, you can't date for the first year. Why? Because you're going to tell me the girl gets me drunk? Yofala, I get me drunk because I ain't working the steps. And if I'd worked the steps, I'd have a spiritual experience and be placed in a position of neutrality like the beautiful speakers earlier had mentioned all morning long. They said, Chris, you can't stay sober. They opened the big book and they had that circle triangle. We had that circle triangle for about 36 years in the front of our books. I got my little stamp always ready to, to stamp a book, you know, in the front. But it was on the title page and we had it... Uh, 57 till 93 when they took it out but this is how the old timers used to stay at all three parts of this this fellowship that's why I love that the DAA adopted the same similar type uh, uh, logo back in the day it was just but recovery unity service and he said Chris if you'd get in all three parts of this program you, you could be able to stay sober and they opened the book just like the little speaker this morning first step stuff and we were talking and he showed me what about the physical craving and the mental obsession for the first time, these two old geezers, it took them 15 minutes, guys, maybe 20 minutes to explain what alcoholism and drug addiction was. I'd been in treatment. I'd been in AA for seven years. Nobody ever slowed down to explain that to me. Nobody believes that I'm telling the truth up here. I'm not making that stuff up. We're too busy trying to fix your life so you don't have anything to drink over. Who's got the problem? I do. I do. Because if you don't talk about it, you might drink. That's absolute rubbish. You can talk about it and you might drink. Can I get a witness? 
How many of y'all drank when everything was absolutely great in your life? How many of you drank a drug when everything was absolute crap in your life? Oh, man. All right. Great relationship. Really nasty relationship. Nice big fancy car. Bicycle. <laughs> Good job. Bad job. You don't realize we could do this all night long? That's why it drives me crazy. I'm in the, I've been in the treatment business for about 26 years. And we still go in there and talk about triggers. Oh, my God. Triggers. Oh, there might be something that would trigger you. Oh, my God. What absolute 100% crap. 100% crap. Guys, early sobriety, if listening to Led Zeppelin makes you think about doing dope, don't listen to Led Zeppelin. But if you're going to tell me for the rest of my life I'm going to have to avoid the radio in case a Led Zeppelin song comes on, oh my God, that is absolutely, it's the stuff that makes us look stupid as can possibly be. We can't change our external world so that we can stay sober inside. We've got to get well internally. Those old timers got around me and they said, Chris, you'll stop drinking and you'll stop doing dope when you work these steps and we're going to work you through pretty quick. And I went home that night with tears in my eyes because I knew for the first time I didn't have all these psychiatric disorders. I didn't, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy. I was a textbook, untreated alcoholic and addict, which we have a 100% guaranteed solution for. Guys, we've got to start slinging some hope. In all of our fellowships, we've got to start slinging some hope. It can't be this wishy-washy, maybe, perhaps, one day this could work. This absolute rubbish. The minute you get off your butt and start doing this work, your life will start changing. And if you keep doing it, your life will change forever. I got to tell you, <clears throat> they started me working the steps the next day. I, I got, I, we chased some ladies out of the back room and did a third step prayer that next morning, Saturday morning. They gave me a notebook. We started working on a fourth step. Bam, 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 getting this stuff done. And that night, that Sunday night, they had me answering the telephones at the group. Chris, just answer the phone, Louisville group. There's the meeting schedule. You follow? I'm seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and all these people will let me do is sit on my butt. You're the most important person here. You just sit right there. Alone in my own head is a terrible place to be. And these guys said, Chris, come on, let's go. Let's get busy. I, I was a couple of weeks into this, they gave me a, they, there, was a, there was a group conscience, and they said, we have an opening on the cleanup committee. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'm not remotely interested. I'm a business owner here locally. I owned a little bankrupt business, okay? And I don't have really have time for this. <clears throat> and, and, but they nominated me unanimously at group conscience. And I said, okay, well, could I meet with my staff? I'll never forget it. And they, they busted out. One guy spit coffee. And I said, oh, what? He said, you are the staff. You are the cleanup committee. My damn. I, I, screwed again. You know, I... And the next day, they gave me the keys, and I went in there, and they said, come on, get it. And I went in there because I'd been in the food business for years. I know how to clean a room. And I set them chairs up with a ruler. Y'all follow? And I cleaned that bathroom, and that kitchen was spotless. And those coffee pots, that nasty stuff that hadn't been cleaned in 40 years. I, I, buddy. And I sat back in the back at 6 o'clock, and the people started coming in. I got me a little cup of coffee, and I'm sitting in there. I was wrung out from working all afternoon. And then a little lady came in, and she said, oh, my God little elderly woman. She's just beautiful, little skinny. She went into the bathroom and I heard her scream. I said, what the hell? 
She stuck her little head around the door. She said, did you clean this place? Yes, ma'am. And she came around. I'll never forget it. She came around and got her little bony elbow around my neck, gave me a little back hug. She said, we sure need you here. I'm seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous and nobody ever said anything like that to me. Y'all understand that? I'm not taking a shot. We don't spend enough time telling that little newcomer that because I guarantee you we need that little newcomer to come and stay. I've had a lot of people. We need you to put your hands behind your back. I heard that a few times. You know, We need you not to call here anymore. I've, I've heard this lady just, we need you. For the first time, less a few weeks away from a suicide attempt, I'm sitting up a little straighter and I realize, you know what? Even as messed up as I am, I can be of service. I can help. And I luckily, thank God, I had some sponsorship and some people in that group around me that spent a whole bunch of time telling me what I could do instead of what I couldn't do. You, I mean, I, you, you, this, you can't date. You can't get a job. You can't make any decisions. You can't sponsor for a first year. Come on, guys. None of that is in the big book. We're supposed to re-enter the mainstream of life. We're supposed to get excited about this. Let's go. We're killing people by the thousands. Sending them out of treatment centers. Now you need to go stay in this halfway house for for another year. And then after that you can go to a three-quarter house. And you can just stay here. I'm not knocking any of that. If you want to do that. As long as while you're there you're doing something. If you're excited about your life. Folks you're going to stay. If you're just sitting marking a goddamn calendar. Because it's another day. You're not. I watch a lot of people relapse around stress. It's, it's proven. I've watched more relapse around boredom. Just sitting there waiting for the clock to tick. One more day so I can finally... Guys, we got to go. We got to get busy. I, real quick. I, um, AA just produced another piece of literature. Actually, it was the, the stupid grapevine, I think, that, that produced it. It's a book called um, <clears throat> Our Great Responsibility. And it's a compilation of... Uh, uh, general service talks that Bill and Doc, Bob and a few other folks gave from about 1955, I think, until uh, 1970, 1970, the year before Bill Wilson passed away. Anyway, I may have the dates wrong, but there was a period of time, and they, they, they transcribed these talks into this book, Our Great Responsibility. All of that book talks about is one thing. We need to get you excited about this work, get you on rock-solid ground, show you how to, how to carry the message so you can turn around and give it back. Y'all need to snag a copy of the book if you can. Bill Wilson gets a little wordy in there. He was notorious for it. But, I got, but I, if you start looking archivally at the history, if you start looking, the guys in Sweden, when they started Drug Addicts Anonymous in 1997, this was, whole thing was about, we're going to use one book. We're not going to have a bunch of other literature. One book. And we're going to get out there and we're going to start working with others and helping other drug addicts get well. And that was the central theme of why they started that fellowship. We needed a little, dope, little place for the little dope fiends to come in and get excited about this work. Not to sit on your ass and you can't do anything for the first year. It's absolutely ridiculous. Because the clock's ticking. The window is open. You feel good. You just got out of treatment. Meds are adjusted. Everything's great. You're feeling good. But the window's going to close. While you're sitting on your butt waiting to have enough time to go sponsor, the window's closing. Bill Wilson was, I mean, immediately back in town's hospital working with drunks. 
That's what kept him sober for six months until he got to meet with Dr. Bob. I got to talk in Akron a few weeks ago, folks, and they, the archivist over there took, took us around. We got to see the tour. Got to finally get to see Dr. Bob's grave and, and uh, Sister Ignatius Ch- Chapel in St. Thomas's. Guys, if any of y'all get a chance, even you little dope fiends would love this. I mean, the history, if you get a chance to go to Akron, you can go around and see Dr. Bob's house where they drank and, and, uh, and maybe did some of those outside issues, but... I don't know. Anyway, but if you, if you get a chance to go, you sit in that chapel where Sister Ignatia and Dr. Bob worked with about 5,000 drunks. And you're sitting in there. And then that chapel, there's, there's stained glass windows that talk about service. This was, that it was the, how, to, how to minister to the, to the poor, how to minister to the hungry, how to minister to the people in prison. I mean, every bit of this, all the quotes that are in there point to one thing. One little dope fiend can help another little dope fiend like nobody else. And somewhere along the line, folks, we got so off the path, we stopped making that important. The guy that brought Alcoholics Anonymous to Texas had never been to a single meeting. He was sick. They told him to get to a warmer climate. He moved to Houston. Got on a train. They gave him a big book. He started working the steps and started working with other alcoholics. Started starting new business, new, uh, new meetings. He stayed sober. That's, that's how this works. That's why we see so many people out there. I, guys, I watch a lot of these cats. They come to treatment. They do really good. They leave. And then the fellowships want to slow them down. Well, y'all are going too fast. We're going to go slow. And by the end of a year, maybe we'll get a chance. We'll have, you know, we're going to read the page, page by page. Excuse me. Nowhere in the big book does it say that. I'm supposed to show you what the steps are about. And you can read along if you want to, but we're not going to sit there and read every line. Come on, let's go. This is not a race. Yes, it is. Because when the obsession... See, he agrees. Absolutely. <laughs> Love and service, that was about, guys. I got to say this real quick before we all get ki- killed here. I don't I wasn't in, in, in AA but a few weeks and ended up getting to spend some time with a little guy. And I'm sitting there wondering the whole time why he asked me to spend some time with him. And then, you know, then it became quite apparent that it wasn't about him. Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, that whole historic meeting in Akron, Ohio. Bill Wilson's in, in the Mayflower. I got to see the old Mayflower. It's in re, they're remodeling it now. It's just crazy. I'm in the lobby where, where that, all that little transaction took place with Henrietta Cyberling. And, but I'm sitting there, and Bill Wilson, the, in the archives, you can read the stuff in, in several of the books. It talks about, he says, I knew I needed another alcoholic as much as that alcoholic could need me. It's, this is not about altruistic, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you so I can stay sober. Well, what happens if, I mean, I get people all the time. Well, what happens if, if that person gets loaded? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're not sober long enough. My job is to make sure you understand what this is about so that you can carry that message. The rest of this is all about God, folks. This is a train wreck already. Everybody wants the perfect sponsor. I'd rather send, I'd rather send a, a son of mine to one of you little dope fiends with, with, with three months sobriety than to send it to an old geezer over in the corner with 35 years and doesn't even know where his big book is. It's all about love and service. And as you start to give, you start to receive. 
and that guidance that you've been wondering about? What job should I have? What relation should I be in? What, you know, what should I do with my life? Let me tell you, guys, all of this, all of this starts to come true as a result of getting out of your head and start helping others. That spiritual warfare that you want to talk about nonstop out there, I can't help anybody. I'm not sober long enough. I can't even help myself. Stop. Quit. Stop playing that game. Just say yes. I don't know how God's going to use you. If you think for a second that you know who, how, how God's going to use you, you're mistaken. If you think you know who God's going to, going to use to help you, Buddy, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in a meeting and listening to one of these little newcomers just out of treatment back over in the back say something, and I go, damn, where did that come from? It's just, I, I don't know who God's going to use in our lives. I just know that we are all, each of us in our own way, are going to be used. Our job today, and I'll end with this, our job today is to stay spiritually awake. My job 31 years ago, folks, the old timer said, Chris, your job is not to stay sober one day at a time. Your job is to stay spiritually awake today. And today, it's still the same. Y'all thought, it's easy. Some of the other speakers have alluded to it. It's easy to go back to sleep. It's easy to become complacent. I'm going to tell on myself real quick. I, uh, I was in a meeting not long ago, and there's this little... Uh, I walk into the club and I'm on the board of directors. Patty and I serve on the board forever and Cody. And, and uh, I walk in and I'm sitting there, you know, I got to get the PA turned on and I got to make sure those little stupid meth heads that are making coffee are not using three packs of coffee. It drives me crazy. <laughs> we all wonder why we can't sleep for two days in a row. It's because we drank that stupid. All right, anyway, and I'm checking, making sure. And I walk in and there's this little, little Hispanic guy. He's an older guy, and he's got one of these big, beautiful cowboy hats on. Guys, I'm not talking about one of these little disco cowboy hats. Y'all follow? This is a gorgeous cowboy hat. Big. <sighs> Breathtaking. Got him a Tom Nick cut on the front. Absolutely gorgeous. And he's sitting by himself up against the wall. And I walked by him, and I, and I just I nodded at him like that. Went on over and started doing, taking care of business. And walked over to my little posse over there and little knuckleheads I'm palling with and visiting. And I'm just trying to take care of business. And I look back around, and uh, he's gone. I sh- shit. And I turned around back around and walked outside. And uh, he's not outside where the smokers are. He's left. I see his big old pickup truck taking down the road, and I see that big old cowboy hat in the rear. And I just. I want to cry every time I tell this story. What would have happened in my life if those two old boys at Louisville Group in 1987 had slid up and passed me by? Because it's 7 o'clock, it's time for dinner. Time for their families, time for their friends. What would have happened if they had just walked past me? But they didn't. They got their dad big book and they sat down with me and they helped me understand what it was to be an alcoholic and a drug addict. And helped me realize I qualified for every 12-step fellowship out there. And they made sure that I didn't leave without the clear understanding that this fellowship needed me. Y'all understand where I'm at? This is not a clinical term, but I want to try to explain it to you. Maybe some of y'all understood. They actually gave a shit whether I stayed sober or not. 
And I walked right by this guy because I'm so important. Busy man, circuit speaker, 31 years sober. I'll let somebody else take care of it. Uh Uh-uh. Not anymore. I guarantee you, every time I'm there at that club, no matter what fellowship we're in, I'm watching the door. I may not, I won't recognize the guy. If he ain't wearing that hat, I'm screwed. But if he walks in with that cowboy hat, I'll knock you over to get to him. And I'm going to apologize to him for being a lousy, a lousy representative of the 12-step group that he had walked into. And I guarantee you, I promise him, I'll, I'll do a better job this next time. I'm going to be there for every little knucklehead I can possibly be there for. Because that's what it's about, folks. Get on this path with us because it's the absolute coolest thing in the world. I'll say, I'll say it. I get calls from everybody. I just don't feel a part of DAA. You're not. You're, you're not. Get a job. Come help us make coffee. Get on a, commi- a committee. Guys, I got to tell you. We were on the conference call last week, last Saturday. We were on the conference call, our quarterly meeting with Drug Addicts Anonymous. 90 groups in the United States. We probably had 10 groups represented on that conference call. Okay? We need your help. We're gonna, we need, this fellowship is gorgeous. It's a non-drug specific fellowship for people to come study the literature. We need your help. It's the answer for all the little dope fiends out there. I w- if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here talking. I love Drug Addicts Anonymous. This, pro- this fellowship is in its infancy here in the, in the States. We're growing like a weed. We just need some people to step up to the plate. Help us continue to organize this. Help us to, to make this thing grow in effectiveness so we can help the next little knucklehead that's coming through the door. I love you guys like a son of a gun. Thank you so much for asking us to pee. Thank you. and I'm a drug addict. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or follow and look out for more episodes coming soon.